This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, we look at a month-long celebration rooted in protest and authenticity. We were not talked about as people who were human beings searching for our rights. We were talked about as people who did nefarious things. It's Pride Month, and Coloradans are sharing in this celebration of love. I'm Micah Smith. And I'm Nathan Heffel. Today, a real talk about the past, present, and future of LGBTQ rights in our state. First, the news. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Haffel. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, we're having a real talk about LGBTQ pride. We'll chat about the celebrations happening, the history of LGBTQ rights in Colorado, and an impactful piece of artwork addressing the current culture of our country. Let's begin with a quick overview of the history of Pride and Pride parades in the U.S. First, it's important to note that the first Pride was a protest against police brutality at the Stonewall Inn in New York City in 1969. At that time, there were laws targeting LGBTQ people and patrons of the bar stood up against police who raided the bar. The following year, the first Gay Pride Liberation March took place in Manhattan to commemorate the one-year anniversary of Stonewall. But it took 30 years for Pride Month to become official. That happened in a 1999 proclamation from then-President Bill Clinton. Colorado is home to one of the largest Pride events in the country, with more than half a million people gathering in downtown Denver for the annual Pride Weekend festivities. This year's Pride Festival will take place next weekend in Denver. There will be a number of events in Denver's Civic Center Park. Each year, the parade is organized by the Center on Colfax. For more, we invited the center CEO, Rex Fuller, to this Real Talk on Pride. Thank you so much for joining us, Rex. Well, thank you for having me. So first, give us a history lesson. How did Denver's Pride start and how has it evolved over the years? Well, Denver's Pride celebration is actually really very closely tied to the history of the center. Um, The introduction that you did mentioned the Stonewall riots in Uh, 1969. In the early 70s here in Denver, there was also a lot of police harassment um, of the LGBTQ community. And so actually 50 years ago this year in October, there was a massive protest that took place at city council and uh, really protesting that police harassment. And that was really the beginning of it. From that emerged a group of activists who said, what do we need in the community? Part of it was to build on this pride celebration that had started to happen. Part of it was to build a community center, and that was the origins of the center on Colfax. We're currently living in a a volatile state when it comes to attitudes, laws happening across the country targeting the LGBTQ community. How important is it for pride events this year of all years to continue? I think it's really important. I think throughout its history, Pride has served different urgent issues of the day. And I think this year is no different. We selected a theme this year that was Be Proud Out Loud, um, where we really felt that it was important to send a message to community members to stand up and have your voices heard. You know, across the country, we've seen um, more than 500 pieces of anti-LGBT legislation in state legislatures. I'm happy that that has not really advanced meaningfully here in Colorado, 
but it is really impacting a lot of people across the country. And even though they're in other states, it's impacting our community too, because I think there's an increased feeling of threat among community members. There's an increased amount of discussion about that. And it's really important that we as a community stand together and support one another during what's really been a challenging few years. So with that said, for anyone who maybe hasn't been to Pride, what can they expect this year? Are there going to be some differences as opposed to other years? Well, I think that it's a great celebration and it's a really fun event. To me, I think that the central uh, issue, the central part of Pride that's really important is simply just being visible. Um, you know, there are many people who come into Pride uh, in Denver from rural uh, areas outside the metro area. Um, our last estimate said about 8% of people come from outside of a 50-mile radius of Denver. And a lot of those places are maybe not as accepting or as welcoming as central Denver would be. So really, this is a chance for people to come and go to the park and realize, hey, I'm not alone. There are people who share some of my thoughts, share some of my experience. And everybody gets to sort of be out in their own way. You know, people can be out in outrageous costumes and having a great time, or people can just come to the festival and enjoy themselves, and either way is okay. Um, I think this year it, it's going to be probably a bigger and better festival than we've had before. We have a huge amount of participation. We have some great entertainment. I, th I think it's going to be a really fun time. And I just love seeing families and you have partners and husbands and spouses and pets that are dressed up in beautiful colors. It is such a, a family event, but it's also a, a community event and, the, and that passion you see when you, when you step into that park and feel safe. That's really our goal is to create an atmosphere where people feel safe and people feel welcome to be themselves however they uh, define that. So um, hopefully I, th I think that people will experience that on June 24th and 25th. Well, this year, more than ever, the corporatization of Pride is being called into question. From Bud Light to Target, big corporations are scaling back on Pride merchandise and advertising because of criticism from conservative Americans. We want to get Rex's opinion on this topic because the Denver Pride Parade is sponsored by Coors Light and others. So, Rex, talk to us about what goes into getting a corporate sponsorship like this. Well, I think I'll back up for just a second and say that the Center on Colfax is Denver's LGBTQ community center. And we have year-round programs serving LGBT youth, young adults, the trans uh, community, uh, older adults. We provide workplace training um, around LGBT uh, employment topics. Um, so there's a lot of work that we do year-round. And this event, Denver Pride, is a fundraiser for the Center on Colfax and contributes to making those uh, programs that happen year-round possible. And so corporate sponsorship is a very important part of how uh, we are able to make a successful festival happen. Um, it's a free festival. There's no admission charge to come to it. So that's one of our important revenue streams as a fundraiser. Thank you for adding context to that. Yeah. And I will say the Center on Colfax is very visible in the community. We see a lot of work that you're doing and we want to thank you for all of that work. And we understand that work takes money. Yes. <laughs> well, and I think, thank you for that. And, and that I want to point out that we've been able to grow and, and improve the center. And a huge part of that comes 
from the support we get through Pride Fest. Um, you know, about 12 years ago, we were able to buy a permanent building. So we now have a home in the community. Um, this past year, we added a new program serving um, young adults um, and helping them launch their uh, professional careers after high school. This, uh, in the coming months, we're going to be launching um, a new mental health program to address the mental health needs of the LGBTQ community. And all of that is made possible because of the support of PrideFest. That was Rex Fuller, the CEO of the Center on Colfax in Denver. The Mile High City's Pride Weekend starts June 24th. Colorado has a deep LGBTQ history, and the city of Boulder is at the center of a lot of that history. We head to the epicenter of that history with a Colorado historian to hear about the contributions made by Colorado LGBTQ leaders and allies over the decades and why it's so important to remember their stories. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. This week, we're having a Real Talk on LGBTQ pride, looking at the meaning of the month and the festivities behind it. But we wouldn't be where we are today without some prominent people throughout our state's history. I had a chance to meet historian Glenda Russell to visit the epicenter of Boulder's LGBTQ movement to hear about why the city has been so monumental for the pursuit of LGBTQ rights across the state. When you think of Boulder, you might feel it's a pretty liberal and forward-thinking place. It's sometimes referred to as the People's Republic of Boulder. And while the pride flag flies over the Boulder Municipal Building... I've read a lot of things in other places. It wasn't always that way. And as Glenda remembers, it was relatively recently when the city wasn't. Why are we sitting outside the Municipal Building here? We're sitting outside the Municipal Building that's named after Penfield Tate the the second. Penn was the mayor of Boulder in the early 70s. He was a person who was absolutely dedicated to human rights and civil rights. I mean, that was just central to how he saw his life. And some people who were mostly younger than Penn were members of something called the Gay Liberation Front, which was a CU student club that had a lot of people who were not actually students in it as well as students in it. And they asked him to consider including what they called at first sexual preference, what they later called sexual orientation. The plan was to include sexual orientation in the city's human rights ordinance in 1973. And that's just what happened with Mayor Penfield Tate, a straight ally, and Tim Fuller, a gay man leading the charge. But then, as Glenda says, all hell broke loose. Or as we say in Boulder, all heck broke loose. At that point, there was a public hearing, and that public hearing literally filled the council chambers. There was no room left. They put in folding chairs in the first floor level that was really just a big atrium did a a live feed into that and the place was just crawling with people. It was full of vitriol, full of very strange language. Because they were upset that sexual orientation was included in this human rights ordinance. Yes, that's exactly right, this human rights ordinance. It seems so interesting these days that like they seem to go hand in hand, human rights, sexual orientation. Yep. But back in the 70s, that was not the case at no, all. This, this ordinance was, in many ways, before its time. There were other cities in, this, in the country that had 
that, that, that had ordinances that covered sexual orientation. There were not a lot of them, and it was a big deal. This was the first time that a city actually had a referendum including sexual orientation in a human rights ordinance. Council wound up taking the issue to voters who rejected it resoundingly. It even led to Mayor Tate losing his re-election bid and Tim Fuller being recalled. But Mayor Penfield Tate is now immortalized in the name of Boulder's municipal building, and a mural has been painted on a city library. And well, there was small movement for LGBTQ plus rights. During the 1990s, Colorado became known to many as a hate state, where a 53% majority of voters passed Amendment 2, a very restrictive measure against LGBTQ plus people. It was really part of a concerted effort to roll out roll out legislation that would roll back rights for LGBT at that time, LGBT people. And this was a marriage? No, it was not a mar marriage issue. It really said, in effect, it said if it had passed and gone and, 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 and had been and had become part of the law of the state, it would have said a gay, lesbian, or bisexual person who is discriminated against based on their sexual orientation has absolutely no legal recourse. There is nothing they can do about it. There is nobody to whom they can complain. It is legal to fire you. It, and it is illegal for any entity, a municipality, a school board, or any other entity in the state, to ever cover sexual orientation as a protected class ever again. Wow. That's what it said. Well, detrimental to the community, Amendment 2 also forced the LGBTQ community to organize, even encouraging some to come out of the closet. Ultimately, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Amendment 2 as unconstitutional in 1996 as a violation of the country's 14th Amendment. Little by little, Colorado added protections for LGBTQ plus people, making Colorado a safe state. But there have been cracks forming, especially with the hateful language used against the LGBTQ community. That language is very much the same language that it's was... The vitriol that they were seeing today is absolutely, the same vitriol that you Absolutely. Groomers, we were... We were you don't, I mean, we were called recruiters, and it's the same well, lies, it's the same, yes, like that. yeah, the language changes slightly, but the, the intent is very much the same, it's to other a group of people, and, and I think what's going to be important in a place like Boulder and in a place like Colorado in general, is to not let the changes that we've made in terms of public opinion and social norms slide back. That's why for Glenda, it's so important to keep this history alive, to show that the fight is still ongoing and more needs to be done to create full equality for the state's LGBTQ plus community. How do you break through, especially younger LGBTQ uh, people who don't know the fight? Yeah, it's a, it's, that's an interesting question because one of the things that happens is, you know, I've been sort of being a, a bit of an evangelical about the need to know history, history in general, and his, queer history in particular. And one of the things that happens is I'll bring it up to young people, and at first it's, mm, well, you know, I don't know. But then when, when I actually, you know, I have a timeline that I've made a bold queer history, and it's big, and I take that to a classroom and start talking about this stuff, and the students are wrapped. They really want to know about this, and they realize that's a history they didn't know they had. And that's, we, we really need history as scaffolding. We need it to keep us honest about what we're doing. We also need to learn from it. Micah, it was really cool to visit uh, the municipal building in Boulder and to see how even though the former mayor was essentially chastised for bringing about uh, uh, equal rights for the LGBTQ movement, now he's being celebrated. How far 
uh, Boulder has come and Colorado has come uh, in terms of LGBTQ rights in such a short amount of time. What I love about this is walking past some of the places you may see every day, mm -hmm. if you live in Boulder or if you go through Boulder, they have special meaning to this movement, to LGBTQ rights. And I appreciate your storytelling because now we know more about those places and the meaning that they hold. Yeah. That was awesome. Good yeah. job, Nathan. Thanks. We want to make you aware of another person who played a monumental role for LGBTQ rights in the 70s. Cleela Rorex was a Boulder County clerk back then. She issued the first same-sex marriage licenses in the state back in 1975 because there was no law preventing her from doing so. That only lasted for so long. She eventually was ordered to stop by the state's attorney general at the time. It was 39 years later when some Colorado counties started offering marriage licenses to gay couples. Then, the next year, the U.S. Supreme Court granted same-sex couples the right to marry nationwide. Clela passed away last year during Pride Month. Pride is about celebrating the LGBTQ community, but it also is about protesting for equal rights. A local artist is embodying both of those ideas through his art piece that will be on display at Denver's Pride Festival next week. We hear from the artist about the inspiration. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel. Today we're having a real talk about LGBTQ pride ahead of Denver's Big Pride Festival next weekend. It's important to remember, well, celebratory, pride started as a protest against police brutality. A Denver artist is capturing that essence of pride through a new piece he's creating for next weekend's festivities. I had the chance to meet up with him at his studio. I'm here with artist Lonnie Hands-On. And Lonnie, you've been creating installations for Pride for a few years now, but you're willing to give us a sneak peek of what you've got cooking this year. Share some of the details about the inspiration behind this latest installation. Well, you know, every, every year we look at the world and see what's going on. And right now we're in a very divided, uh, horrible place in some, in some ways. And uh, people getting really upset about what people wear or what they look like or how they <laughs> walk or talk or, or read. And um, so I always start with looking at the issues and then we, we try to find a, a sweet spot, a spot that we can um, be attentive from, positive from. And so this year we're taking a, a bunch of very large corn syrup totes of all things um, making a big base because we can put water in them and make a very heavy base. And we're covering them with all the protest signs that we have to use today. So drag is not a crime. Black lives matter. Uh, trans rights are human rights. No human is illegal. All the things that we're still fighting for 50 years or 60 years later. And that becomes the background. Um, and then above that and, and, and blasting above all of that, is love is love is love is love so so we start from a from a from a base of fairly serious stuff and then we rise 28 feet up into the air with um silk flags so it's sort of a vertical rainbow wow what was i guess your own personal life experience that helped feed into your inspiration for the installation well um you know i'm in my 60s now and uh so um, my experience 
over the over the years is has been different than what it is today. Today, um, things are much more open and uh, much much more normalized. Um, and so, uh, I, I I would say that you know I was I was very very closeted for a, a lot of my uh, career uh, for, for for good reasons. And um, uh, it's it, it's it's nice to be getting a little older and uh, a little more out and. Um, being able to contribute back to the community. We talked a little bit about some of your installations being a bit prophetic. Uh, you made a, a, a cake, a wedding cake a few years back. Describe that for our viewers and listeners. Um, well, the, the, it was called Equality Cake, and it was a 24-foot wedding cake uh, that sat on a cake stand that was covered with the 1,138 rights and responsibilities of marriage. And that we happened to do that five days uh, four days before uh, the Supreme Court rendered opinion and uh, made um, equality and marriage uh, uh, the law of the land. And then uh, uh, my husband and I were able to get legally married the next the next year. So that was so that was that was exciting. The or, unfortunately, the second year was the Orlando Memorial because of the massacre um, in Orlando. Uh, we've done things on equal access. Um, uh, Shrine to Humanity was about spirituality in the community. Um, so we, we try to pick a different uh, angle. So the, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall was, was three years ago. Um, and we celebrated uh, moments, both positive and negative moments of the civil rights movement. Um, and so we, we try to buy, buy into the theme and still create something that is beautiful and incentive for the for the hundreds of thousands of people that, that come out to pride. Serious yet uplifting uh, things happening here. What do you hope people take away from this year's installation as they view it, walk around it, maybe even interact with it? Well, I, you know, we do see that people take a lot of pictures uh, at, at pride. And, um, you know, I hope that people will, you know, accept, you know, the, the, you know, the the old um, I think it's I think it's Buddha. Um, uh, uh, participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. Uh, you know the the world is a sorrowful place. It always has been, and maybe it always will be. But it, it's the idea is to try to participate joyfully in in that. And uh, you see with today's pride that it's 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 a it's a family event. It's a it's several hundred thousand people coming together. Um, and I, I'm seeing that pride is becoming more and more about diversity and about everyone uh, being able to to coexist, which is really exciting. Lonnie Hands-On, thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. Thank you. Lonnie is such a lovely person, yes. and I truly enjoyed my time in his studio. Lonnie's installation, Love is Love, is also sponsored by Credit Union of Colorado. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.